quick one, and I have a feeling we're going to agree. We don't always agree, but I have a feeling we're not going to need a poll for this, that you are going to totally understand where I'm coming from, and you're going to agree. There'll be no hesitation. So the question is, what shape is a donut? <laughs> round. <laughs> round, exactly. There's no discussion here, is there? It's round. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a donut. It's always round. And filled in donut's the middle. Well, it could have a hole, but in the hole, on the, in the hole, on the hole, it's normally filled. They can have filled or a ring, or icing, or sprinkles on some occasions, but they are round. Yes, I couldn't imagine a donut in any other shape. Have you heard of a maple bar? No. Don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was having a chat with Nick McCarville, who's part of our team um, in Madrid this week, and he said, have you ever had a maple bar? And I thought it was some kind of, it sounds like a cereal bar, sounds like something maybe quite healthy. And he said, I can't believe you haven't heard of a maple bar, it's a donut. To which I said, it's not a donut. And he said, it is a donut. Donuts are not rectangular. They cannot be rectangular. Because a donut, it's a nut. It's, it's round. <laughs> it's a donut. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how they came to the conclusion. It's a nut of dough. But it, definitely, it's not a bar. A maple bar is a bar. But a nut is round. If you have like a... I'm thinking of a nut, a metal nut. Well, it depends like a, on your nut. I mean, a walnut's well, not round. No, no. Neither is an almond. Well, okay. And a walnut's also not metal. I'm talking... <laughs> you know, nuts and bolts. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Um, a nut is is round or sort of more round than rectangular. We did we did a, a quick a, a quick poll on this. And, and I think it, it's, a, it's a, an America versus the rest of the world thing because I had a few people getting quite irate <laughs> saying that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that a maple bar was definitely a donut and they were all coming in from America and elsewhere. Um, everyone said, no, donuts are round. So, I mean, if anyone has anything to add, then I, I don't think there is anything to add on <laughs> this one. And the fact that we both agree. Well, we can find one. Maybe we can find one when we're out in New York. We have to wait till September, but maybe we can give it a go. What, a maple bar or a donut? A maple bar. Yeah, well, we've had donuts before. We know what donuts are. But yeah, we could give a maple bar a go, I think. Okay. But it's definitely a bar. If it's called a bar, that it's a bar. It goes into the bar category. It's not a donut, right? Oh, this is amazing. Look, we're agreeing. This is amazing. <laughs> I, I, I love I this. I just want to keep this little, I just want to keep this little section right here. There's, um, we have a little bit of business from last week for this week if that's okay. We were talking about car insurance and how when you said you're a tennis player, the car insurers were like, whoa, and assumed that you'd be driving Tim Hemman to work every day. So it's very expensive. And for me, they thought I'd be taking the whole of the Chelsea first team, just cramming them in my little car. And it was expensive. We had, um, we had a tweet um, at Tennis Podcast from Belle Bumbles. Now, Belle, we are followed by a lot of dogs, actual four-legged friends. Now, Belle is, is not a dog. She's a TV producer by day, helper of rescue dogs by night. So keep, very much keeping the theme. And Belle said, yes to the car insurance cargo. Even when I was a runner 20 years ago with a beaten up Fiesta, um, I may, according to the insurers, have been giving Brad Pitt a lift home only in my dreams, unfortunately. So it's happened. This is quite a common thing. Well, it's just, it seems like it's standard. Just a standard thing for insurers to do. I think it's ridiculous. And I maintain my stance from last week that we were thoroughly ripped off. But I don't know what we could have really done about it because they just say, well, no, that's it. That's how much you've got to pay. So it's a tough one. I'm wondering about car insurance. You can tell I haven't been up to much. I've been wondering about car insurance for taxis because the one time you asked me if I've been in a 
car or I'd had any footballers in my car, which I hadn't. But I have been in a taxi with Juan Mata because Juan Mata is a big, big tennis fan. Uh, yes. This was when he was at Chelsea and we decided to do a feature. So we're in the taxi on the way to the O2 and we're doing a sort of little chat about life and times. And so in the back of this black cab, which it may feel it's big, we have a cameraman with a very big camera. We have a producer, we have myself and we have Mata. And it has to look as if it's just Matter and I taking a little ride in the taxi to the O2. Because um, one of his very close friends is David Ferrer. And I'm just wondering, for taxis, how on earth can you insure a taxi? Because you could have anybody, absolutely anybody, in the back of your cab that might be worth quite a lot. That's true. And you probably do get some celebrities if you're in London driving people about. And what about the drivers? They're volunteer drivers at tournaments like Wimbledon and at the Slams. Volunteer drivers, what, what's their insurance like? Maybe the tournament brings out insurance they probably have masses of insurance covering all different sorts of things it's not poor bob the drivers it's not not down to him if he uh, accidentally well, can um, you imagine bob it's great you're volunteering to drive the cars we would just like to tell you the cost of your insurance for the next couple of weeks will be <laughs> and bob's like <laughs> yeah i mean i'm volunteering <laughs> i'm volunteering to work for you i cannot pay extortionate insurance um david frere he has can you I think, have I asked you this before? Do you know roughly how many matches you played in your professional career? Oh, yeah, we did this before, didn't we? I, I don't know. I think I said something like a couple of hundred. That's probably what I'd go for. Not as many as David Ferrer. 1,110. And he's still going because, as a lot of people probably do know, the Madrid Masters is David Ferrer's final tournament. He's putting down the racket. He's laying down the headband. He's going to spend a lot more time with his partner and his son. He was up against Roberto Bautista Gut, who I feel so sorry for. He was the villain in Melbourne with potentially Andy Murray's last time on a tennis court. He was up against Roberto Bautista Gut. Then he got John Milman, the Aussie, in the second round. And here he was up against David Frere, where no one outside of Roberto's family probably wanted him to win. And it was David Ferrer that, can you believe, keeps on going? I can't believe it. Well, I, I was commentating on the match. I was fortunate enough and I was thinking, right, I've got to keep myself contained because I will cry. If I'm there, if I'm commentating through the montage and the video and the goodbyes, oh, I, I don't think I'd be able to handle it. I would oh, I'd just be bawling. <laughs> I bawl at any montage, to be honest. It could be a montage about anything. I mean, when they do a little montage pack at the end of Wimbledon, I'm normally crying. Just, it just, it's, it's over. It's over. What a, what a two weeks it was. But for Ferrer, oh, I just... You just got to love him, haven't you? He's an extraordinary person and an extraordinary player. I mean, the, I mean my favourite stats about him is that he made 10 Grand Slam quarterfinals or better in a row. That stretched over two and a half years on all the different surfaces. Talk about consistency. That is bonkers. So he reached the final of the French Open, which was one of those 10, and then went and reached the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, backing that up. And that was back when we didn't have the extra week in the grass court season. So it was really close. So the guy is just so impressive and I've just been loving hearing him talk about things and, and um, there's a fantastic interview that I think uh, it's on the ATP Radio Exclusives channel and it's just so well worth a listen and people were saying oh do you feel like you've been a bit hard done by because um, you had Federer and Nadal and you've been you've been so so good but you've been in that era so no you haven't won a slam uh, and he said well no because I feel fortunate to be around them because they pushed me to be better 
And what a nice way to look at things. I mean, the guy is just, he's hes so generous and so into fair play. In his match against Bautista Agut, he picked up a drop shot and Bautista Agut questioned whether it was double bounce and Ferrer said, oh, all right, play the point again. Even though it was clearly not a double bounce and Gianluca Mos- Moscarella in, in the chair was like, no, no, it wasn't a double bounce. He, he got it pretty comfortably. Replay showed he got it pretty comfortably, but David Ferrer said, nah, it's fine. If, if you've got any sort of question, we'll just do it again. <laughs> Poor thing. I think that's maybe a little unnecessarily generous, but I just love, I mean, the Ferrer attitude, yes, it's about work and about Spanish drills and about retrieving and getting the ball in and, and all of those sorts of things. And there's blood and the blood and sweat of David Ferrer is in every clay court in all of the tournaments. It's soaked into the surface. It will never leave. He will never leave those courts. Um, that's for sure. But for me, it's just it's about how much he just relishes the challenge. And almost the look of disappointment when he wins matches comfortably. <laughs> and, he, and when his opponents don't play their best, he's, he's kind of, ah, oh, sorry, guys. That, that wasn't as epic as everybody wanted. He just, oh, he wants the epics. And when his opponents play well, he's just like, yes, great. Come on then, play better. I mean, nobody relishes it like he does. I mean, Rafa is pretty good at relishing the challenge, but Rafa will, Rafa will also take uh, a love and two win pretty happily. If somebody doesn't play well, he'll say, well, he didn't play well, but hey, I'm through. Because he's all about looking after his body and that sort of stuff. So you get it. But Ferrer is just, I think he feels like he's been robbed if he hasn't played a three and a half hour match and he's he's like what do you mean I won in straight sets what's going on people I want a third set breaker <laughs> what I found really interesting about that interview which is you said it, it was great he was talking about some of his highlights having his family who he's played against was when he was asked if he had any regrets he's someone that puts everything out in the court he said he had a lot of regrets and when he was just pushed a little bit on that he talked about training and how he trained and maybe he could have trained differently whether he and he didn't really he didn't really go on about that. He didn't really sort of broaden that out. But whether he maybe felt he actually trained too much or, wow, God forbid he could have trained anymore. I'm sure he can't have been that he could have <laughs> trained <laughs> anymore. But he just said he had a handful of regrets. And you could just say probably everybody in life has regrets. Something will happen in their life and make them look back and they'll think they regret a few things that have happened. Do you, what, what, are the, what, are the big, what are your biggest regrets, tennis Wise. Oh, wow. It all. I regret it all. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I'd never bothered. Um, (laughs) That's not true. No, I mean, I think it's about looking at the chain reaction because I think I could pick out so many different things. I mean, ultimately, my career was cut short because I was struggling to deal with the life. And yes, there is an element of the life didn't really suit me as a person and it was really difficult for me. But also that was because of some poor decisions and it it led me to that point where it was... Uh, it was just too difficult, I suppose, to, to, to try and, and deal with. And it had been too long trying to deal with it in a negative way. Yeah, I think looking at a point that I could have changed, I think probably... I think I would have liked to have involved my brother more. That's what I would have liked to have done because he was off playing tennis when we were young and then I went off and played tennis as well. So when I was playing about 16, 17, I didn't really know him that well. He was out of college in the States. But I I wish that right off the back of him playing college, I'd kind of tried to convince him 
because he probably wouldn't have wanted to do it, but convince him to come and travel with me and, and help me out because it would have been nice. I think that would have been helpful for my mental health. I think it would have been helpful for just me and my tennis to have somebody there who who has a, a connection, even though we, as I say, we weren't that close because we were busy. We were just both busy traveling all the time. You, you know, how close can you be? Um, uh, just to have somebody who has that connection and I think would always be trying to fight for you and that sort of thing. Um, I would have loved to have done that, I think, would have then affected a lot of other decisions that ended up kind of really affecting me if I had that more in place. Because ultimately I was kind of trying to fend for myself. And I was doing that because I was there as a teenager and I was thinking, yeah, you know, I'm independent. I'm strong. I know what I'm doing. Uh, I don't need anyone. And I got this all covered, Dad. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, I'm, I'll be fine. And uh, yeah, it turns out I probably could have done with a bit more help. So maybe getting <laughs> Nick a bit more involved. Uh, and I sure, I'm sure in hindsight, he would have liked to have been more involved as well. But uh, I just was so excited by it all that I just wanted to deal with it all. And I didn't want to ask for help because I thought it was kind of weak I felt that to be a tennis player you had to be super tough show no signs of weakness whatsoever and that if you were asking people for help and you were saying oh I don't really want to travel by myself this week that that was coming across as being quite immature and not ready and not cut out cut out for things of course now it's very different but that really was kind of the viewpoint of it when when I was struggling made a tennis decision recently I don't know if this is sort of akin to a midlife crisis although it's a little bit early to be having a midlife crisis you want to design your own racket I don't know yes I don't know know where this has come from or why you want to design your own racket but tell me what the Naomi Cavaday bespoke tennis racket would look like I don't know but I just think that personalizing stuff would be really cool I'm not one for personalised number plates at all, but uh, I, I'm not. I'm not really a fan of that. But in terms of having your own colours, I like that. I, what I want on the tour is I want players to have their own personalised racket for the year that they've designed with a team or whatever, or just a different colour. That would be nice. I would want them to have not their own kit necessarily because some of the players do have their own kit right at the top end of the game, but at least have home and away kits that they're not wearing the same on the court. And I would like the players to have walkout music. That's what I would like. So each player has their own walkout music, like wrestling or darts. I tell you what, tennis should be more like darts. (laughs) That that left me speechless for a second. Um, (laughs) I think... The difficult thing about what so the, the are the tournament choosing the walkout music for the players or the players selecting their walkout music because the problem you're going to get you're going to get those players who are heavily into their music and if you look at their Instagram feeds sometimes their Insta story is just songs they're listening to and they're big on the music other people so I like music but it's not it, it's not a massive thing you know it, I can sort of take it or leave it and listen to all sorts of different kind of music so if you get someone more like that you're going to have this cracking walkout song and then a kind of a bit of a limp, not so good walkout song. And then it's not going to be great, is it? No, I think it's going to be great. Everybody would pick a different sort of song. It would give you a bit more insight into the character of the player. And I think it would go down really well. And you would have your song for, well, for for, for the whole time of your career, really, I think. But I mean, you could definitely a year. So you would know that Muguruza's song is... I don't know, whatever. 
it is and it and it comes on and you know that Muguruza's coming out and then when Muguruza wins the set you could have a little like sting of a chunk of her song like yes Muguruza's stamped out the set and then when she wins the match and she's taking her applause her music's playing all that sort of stuff I think that would be great and I think it would go down really well bit of razzmatazz is it like a wedding song no no what like a first dance yeah they might need because it's going to be something that's important to them. They might need to have a little bit of a dance to it. It's like a first dance. Do you have you chosen your first dance song? You don't have to dance to it. Well, Petkovic might dance to it, but no one else is going to dance to it. It's fine. Few, I think a few might dance to it. Do you have your first dance? I'm not asking you to reveal it, but do you? Don't even don't even ask me about the first dance. It's been there. Uh, it's been difficult. It's been difficult. We're still not quite there yet. I've narrowed it down to a couple of options. I say narrowed it down. I've managed to f- come up with a couple of options because we were limited, i.e. having not a lot. Because like you were saying, I, I'm massively into music and Ben's not really. So difficult to find one we, we both love. So that should make it easy because then you could just say this is... And are you? will you be one of those couples that goes to have dance lessons? No. So you know how to... <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that's not going to happen but when I tell you I'm, I'm telling you what should happen is walk out music that would be great absolutely I think all of the players should have it it would help spectators and fans connect more with players because a lot of the time the majority of fans ultimately watch the match most a lot of people will turn off before the speech. A lot of people don't really watch the interviews and that sort of thing. So you don't get any sort of sense of the player. And in an individual sport, I think you really need to connect to the player. And so you just need like a really cool and epic walkout song that just kind of announces your arrival and it can pump you up and, and all that sort of stuff. I think it would be awesome. I think it'd go down really well. You know, like they do in wrestling. You've got people in the in the in the ring, they're kinda of, in WWE, they're trash talking and all this sort of stuff. And then you hear the big crunch of glass and you know that Stone Cold Steve Austin's coming in and everybody freaks out. Be like that. And you could have yeah, you could just have it. And then Fed just plays his music and just like, you know, lays the smack down and in he comes. I'm so looking forward to Wimbledon and the walkout <laughs> music. Well Wimbledon won't be doing that. Everywhere else. Uh, I, I, but, but I also think you would have to change it like kits from the surfaces because people have different feelings. So Nick Kyrgios, for instance, if you, you keep an eye, he's already exited Madrid. He exited on the Sunday to Jan Leonard Struth. If you've been following him on Instagram, there's been a lot of, I don't like the clay. I don't want to be here. It's really not fun. I want to play basketball. I'm just playing basketball. All I've lost in Madrid in the first round. So his music for the clay court season, I think would be very different to the other things. I think it's like the kit. Then it gets complicated because I think you've got you've to change your song according to the surface. Well, I think you definitely have one for the year and I would be inclined to do it for the entire time. As I say, like when you watch the darts, everybody comes out to the, their own songs. So Van Gerwen, he comes out to the white stripes. Da, da, Michael Van Gerwen. That's how it goes. <laughs> and everybody knows and everybody go, everybody, and it goes, all the lights go green and he's wearing his green shirt. And now he comes and everybody knows, yes, the superstar is here. 
that is the feeling that you want and you could get the lights connected to it you know like so when we're at the O2 the light show's incredible right I absolutely love it and you know what I was like at the O2 last year with that the the entrance music I think it was called Legendary that piece of music and the light show was so cool and the montage like I said I love a montage I'll cry at any montage I think I nearly cried at that as well the match hadn't even started and you got the montage of the highlights through the year and all of the emotion and all that sort of stuff. Well, what if we had that team that do the lighting and that do that sort of media presentation and they did an individual one for each player? How cool would that be? And you had different lights, so different colours for each player. And, uh, you know, like Federer would walk out to I am the one and only or something like that. And you go, yeah, you know, and all the lights would go. Chesney Hawks. Yes. Roger Federer walk out to Chesney Hawks. I'm not saying it would be his selection. <laughs> it's just an idea. That is- I was throwing it out there. He doesn't have to use it. Just put it in the maybe pile. You've put Chesney Hawks and Roger Federer in the same sentence. I think enough. I, that is, I think <laughs> that, that, that is something. I think there's, there's a few things here. I had two things. I've now got three things. Okay, so oh. <laughs> always, always picking at my wonderful suggestions. I've spent a lot of effort planning this. But we do agree that donuts are round. Just always remember that. Is that. True. Okay. okay. So the first the first thing, at an outdoor tournament of which there are many, your green and yellow flashing lights aren't really gonna do much on a bright summer's day. So that's the first thing. Okay. Okay. No lights. So no lights. Uh, and and the dry eye smoke thing I it just gets a little bit annoying. The second thing, you've compared tennis <laughs> to wrestling and darts. <laughs> and yep. thirdly, I now know what you get up to in your spare time. You watch wrestling and darts. I mean, this is, again, <laughs> I've learned something new about you. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is that they just do that so well, you know, the, the razzmatazz. With tennis, you know, it's all a bit serious. It's all about the tennis isn't it? When you go to the darts, people are barely watching the darts, to be quite frank. They're busy, busy doing other stuff. Would you like to add in, there's that darts tournament, is it at Lakeside or is that a shopping centre? I'm not sure. Oh, there is one at Lakeside, but no, that's not the good one. Ali Pali's the good one at Christmas. That's the one I'm thinking of, where people dress up, have fancy dress. So would you now like to add in to the tennis world, people turning up in fancy dress? Um, I'm not sure. what They do that at the darts. And uh, what else do they do? they used to do that like rugby sevens or something? I, I think they used to do that, didn't they? A bit of, bit of fun. I never went to yep. it. Do that rugby sevens in Hong Kong, everyone. Yeah, so it still kind of works. But uh, again, it's maybe not Wimbledon etiquette. If you were in charge of tennis, you might have some fancy dress. You would have a light show on a summer's day with the smoke blaring out. You would have the songs. You would have Chesney Hawks bringing Roger Federer out. And no one would be allowed to wear the same kit. Is that right? Is that list? Pretty much. I mean, it, I mean, look, you've taken a little bit of artistic license with what I was saying there with my <laughs> grandmaster plan. But on the whole, I'll, I'll give that to you. If I'm ever in charge, which is not going to happen, so everyone can relax. <laughs> I just don't think it should. If I'm ever in charge... Can't wait. Oh, also nicknames. Players can have nicknames, you know, like the, uh, like the wrestlers and uh, the darts players. Might as well. But, but no montages <laughs> because you will start crying. I, I think there are... I don't mind people playing in the same kit. I, there's a, there's a colour at the moment called Canyon Gold. Not a colour. What colour's a canyon? It's not a colour. I mean, saying Canyon Gold to someone, someone's... Exactly, someone's listening, thinking, what, what colour's Canyon Gold? But seeing a couple of people... Yes, people, certain people look better in it than others... Of course, that's with any kind of clothing. But I don't mind if the same 
kit is being worn. I don't, I don't see that. The I don't see that. But I think walkout music, it, it could be fun. I think nicknames, I'm <laughs> not sure. I think light shows at the outdoor tournaments, we have to do a little bit of work on that. Um, but I mean, there's definitely things and maybe no montages because we don't want you. Did you cry at the Andy Murray montage in Australia? Oh, yes. Uh, nobody's made me cry more than Andy Murray. But that montage, when it was sort of, we're saying goodbye to him and he hadn't officially said goodbye. Was, was, that, was that a moment for you? That was actually, yeah, it, it was a moment for me. Although I, I did kind of feel a bit like it was premature it was always a it was always a maybe goodbye and people just ran with a well it's maybe so let's just act as if it is happening uh, which I thought was a little unfair on Andy I mean he had been honest with his situation um but it definitely it was a definitely maybe wasn't it that was the, that was the thing and people ran with it a little bit so it was a little uncomfortable because I thought it was a bit early but I mean, I, I'm really, <laughs> I was chatting earlier about Ferrer's farewell tour and it's been quite enjoyable. It's been nice that he has been able to finish on his own terms, something that potentially Murray has not been able to do. And people were saying that, well, isn't that really unfortunate? But on the whole, most athletes, I think across all sports, don't get to finish on their own terms because it normally is injury. The montages and the ceremonies and the farewells and the this and the that for David Ferrer, it's been great. And he is, of course, a sensational player. But can you, can you imagine what it will be like for, for Roger Federer? Can you even comprehend the fanfare when he decides <laughs> this is going to be my last tournament? Oh, my. I mean, we're going to have like a, a flyby with like the red arrows and the queen's going to come out. It's going to be mental. I don't, I can't even un can't comprehend what anyone's going to do because this has been great for David Ferrer. I mean, what more can they do? I mean, they're going to name every court after him. Congratulations, Roger. We've named our court after you. They're going to give him every key to every city. I don't know what else there is left to do. They might even bring Chesney Hawks out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just a special, special guest, <laughs> special guest appearance. Can I ask you about Drop shots. Drop shots. Drop shots. I'm not an expert, I must say. I, I love drop shots. I, again, I'm not an expert. I just love a good drop shot. Do Watching you, it. Yeah, oh yes. Uh, executing one is, 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 is awful. Um, I love watching them. I love a good drop shot. It's just, it's just lovely to watch. I think it's one of my favourite shots is a drop shot. Did you like executing them? Could you execute them? And did people execute them? against you and did it annoy because I always think the drop shot is the most annoying shot you get those people again and again the drop shots keep coming you could see their opponent just starting to rage as the drop shots continue well drop shots for me I think I think they're quite a new phenomenon I don't have what well, not as in nobody ever hit a drop shot people have always hit drop shots but they're becoming more and more common, particularly on the women's tour, because I'm telling you, when I was playing, nobody drop-shotted me. If they had drop-shotted me, I wouldn't have been ranked inside a 1,000. <laughs> I could not get drop-shots. <laughs> Sometimes I could get there, didn't know what to do, so I just decided to nudge it into the tram line. That was a good, strong tactic of mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, people didn't really do it. I remember Martina Hingis did it a lot against me, but she's Martina Hingis, was kind of known for it. But particularly in terms of like, looking at the challenges, players ranked between 100, 200, 300, that sort of thing. Uh, no one did it that often. It was all about the power because Sharapova and Serena and Venus 
had burst through and were very much at the top of the game. So it was all about power. So all of the young players were wanting to be powerful. And that was it. It was just get behind the ball and thump it. Just melt the ball all over the place. It'll go in eventually and you'll be fine. That was the kind of the, the general thing. The drop shots, I think, have come in more and more as a counter to the pace. Because if somebody is wanting to have some time and what somebody's wanting to set up to really strike the ball, then pulling them forwards and uh, getting them off balance and surprising them in that way stops them. They can't hit the ball hard if you execute a drop shot well. And a lot of players just never went to the net. My volleys were terrible. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> uh, I didn't even really learn. I'm, I'm not even joking. I didn't even really start to learn a single-handed backhand volley until I was about 15, 16. And in the end, we bagged it, went back to two hands, like Hingis does. <laughs> Just two hands, punch it away. My coach was saying to me, you're never going to hit more than one volley because if you find yourself at the net and it's not the coin toss or the handshake, A, it's accidental. And B, you're either going to get the volley away or you're going to miss it, or you're going to miss the next volley. So <laughs> we've got no confidence in you at the net. So really, uh, yeah, I mean, in answer to your question, I hate drop shots, but I didn't ever really have to play against them. Now, I can tell you, so my first chunk of my career, because I'm sure the tennis listeners know every detail of my career, but I can categorically tell you, I played professionally from 16 to 21. I In that five-year period, I never once deliberately hit a drop shot really not once not once not once didn't know how didn't even think about it didn't think about it at all maybe now what I will say it was slight asterisk I reckon I probably tried to hit drop shots off of drop shots yep occasionally probably didn't work or if they did work you'd see me laughing but I don't think I don't think I ever ever deliberately tried to hit a drop shot not from the back of the court it just never even crossed my mind and then when I came back a few years later I did start putting in a few drop shots on the backhand side here and there because it just made a lot of sense because I hit the ball quite hard so people pushed quite far back and so the drop shot coming in made a lot more sense and it was just around a lot more it just kind of seemed like a shot and I tried to hit it and I was thinking wow I, I don't even know what, what grip to use <laughs> somebody was telling me oh yeah let's do forehand drop shots and I was trying to hit it more with a forehand grip and the coach was just in hysterics like what on earth are you doing they're obviously just going into the floor and they were like what are you doing <laughs> you're supposed to change your grip at the last second and then hit one. okay right yeah no just never really worked on it so in answer to your question I'm not a fan with the <laughs> with the uh, with the juniors that you teach now if you're talking about it, you think a drop shots, it's it's really come into the, the modern day game or the game since you retired. Would you teach your juniors or do you teach your juniors about the drop shot? Because it's it's a good ploy to use, especially as we're seeing on the clay. Yeah, on the clay, it's always been there a, a, a bit more often than it is on other surfaces. But like I mentioned, tried not to play on clay too much so I, I wasn't really as exposed to it. But yeah, for all the juniors, they need to know how to play it. And they need to know how to pick it up as well. And as I say, I don't have any evidence to base this on. All I know is that in that five years, if anybody had drop shotted me twice in a match, they would have very quickly figured out that that was going to work. And they would have done it another 20 times. They would have beaten me. And I don't think I would have gotten anywhere. And I think everybody would have known that they could just play drop shots. I just really don't think it was a thing. Because if it was a thing, I just I just would have been screwed. I'm sure of it. 
So, as I say, maybe somebody's going to prove me wrong with the stats and, and say so. But from my experience, I don't know. It, it wasn't in people's uh, armory. And I remember, actually, when I was playing junior French Open and the girl I was playing against was cramping. She was cramping so badly, really, really badly in the legs. And it ended up going to 13-11 in the third. Uh, of course, no tie breaks as, as well in the juniors. We just kept going and going and going. I think I had something like seven match points. It was devastating. It's probably one of two occasions I've actually cried after a match. And I, it was just something I never really did. But there was only, only one other occasion I remember where I did. But this time, it was a real killer to win my first round in a, in a grand slam. It was a big deal and all this sorts of stuff. And she was cramping. And my coach was just looking at me saying, drop shot. And I was like... Well, we probably should have spent at least five minutes of the last 150 hours we've had on the practice court doing some drop shots. I haven't hit one in the last year. And you're looking at me for a massive win in my in a, in a junior slam. I've never won a match in a junior slam. And you're going, yeah, yeah, drop shot. What are you talking about? It's 11 all in the third set. I don't have the bottle to just do something I've never done before. So I couldn't drop shot her. And I just kept thumping it at her. She just kept poking it back. And I lost. 13, 11. I probably should have at least tried, but I do feel like I was looking at my coach going, how are you asking me to hit a shot that we, uh, we've we never worked on? You're just plucking a shot out of thin air. That's like going to a nine-year-old kick serve. <laughs> just hit a kick serve. <laughs> what do you mean? I've never tried a kick serve. Yeah, just do it. But is it weird that that just wasn't a shot you vaguely knew how to do? Or does it come back to, again, the fact that you just didn't think it was really around in the game? Because I would just assume that when you're learning with coaches, academies, wherever you're learning your trade, that you sort of go through where uh, your forehand, you've got your backhand, you've got your drop shot, you've got your volley. I just thought it would be one of the things, that, what, a box that you would tick and something you would know how to do, even if you didn't do it all the time. Well, it was a combination, I think, of coaches not, Coaches did attempt on a couple of occasions to start doing... I remember one session on the forehand drop shot, which was about changing that grip. So that didn't go well. And I just basically got laughed off the court. So I just got embarrassed and thought, OK, I'm not going to try that again. So drop shots kind of attempted. The volleys were attempted a little bit more. But again, I think the coaches just kind of lost lost faith <laughs> in my ability to pick up what they were doing and I think what it was is that it was just that lack of communication I really needed to sit them down and explain to them you don't understand I have genuinely never ever attempted a drop shot whereas I think they were kind of coming at it like okay her drop shot's not very good and I was like, I don't, I couldn't even tell you which grip to have. I, I couldn't even tell you. And when I was coming forward, I remember somebody asking me about, okay, so you hit, you approach here, where do you stand? And I went and stood on like the wrong side of the court. Uh, and I think this was Carl Mice actually, who coached uh, Kim Kleisis for many years. And he, he, he just thought I was taking the mick. He just thought I was taking the piss. He just started laughing. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then I moved to the other side. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. This is what I meant, right? <laughs> and this is when I was quite young, you know, talking like 15, 16. But I think that was the big problem there. And they lost faith quite quickly because I think they were thinking like, well, you know what? If you've been volleying for years and this is what we've got, we're struggling. And if you don't even know what you're doing on a drop shot at all, you know, we, we, we maybe it's not worth putting the effort into this. So there was that. And then on top of that, I really didn't want to do it. So, so I could see that they were shying away. 
and kind of going, yeah, maybe we're fine. Maybe let's just work on backhands again. And I was going, oh, yeah, no, I like doing backhands. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's stick to that. Now, we are mid-Madrid, but when we look at the week, we're not actually working together that much. And I wonder if that... Says something I think about it's quite deliberate. I was going to say us as a team, or that we would basically be talking too much rather than than commentating. So we we sort of pass each other in the commentary box. So how was your match? Great. Enjoy your match. See you in a bit. And that's that's pretty much about that's our off air conversations during Madrid. Is hello. See you soon. Okay. Bye. Hope it's a good match. But I do want to finish with a question from from a dog, <laughs> um, Zoe the pup tart. Um, wants to know about dogs. I'm not sure if we're going to give a good answer but I thought I'd put the question out there because there might be other people listening um with all the talk about Sven although we haven't talked about Sven for a bit I've been wondering what it's like to travel with a dog on tour which I think we've sort of touched on before I see players bringing them to tournaments but surely there are countries where they're not allowed do they need doggy passports do they hire long-term care facilities and leave them at home it seems a rather heartbreaking prospect being separated from your fur baby for most of the year now I don't know the ins and outs of passports and vaccinations and countries and visas. But I do know that I see the dogs, let's take Lady Katie, Kevin and Kelsey Anderson's dog, everywhere. So there, there must be a way, only a little dog, no way they sneak it in some countries, but that there, there is a way of, of moving these. That, that's why it seems to be Sven, he's not a big dog, but he, I think he's big for a travelling tennis player, and largely with the tennis players not all of them but they have sort of smallish and they sort of can put them in a handbag sized dog to carry around yeah the main issue really is just traveling on the planes so i mean some things sven sized can't sit next to me on the plane or sit in a bag i'd have to have a very very big and very obnoxious bag to to do that (laughs) not allowed in the cabin unfortunately so he would have to go on you know kind of the doggy travel in the crates and stuff and I'm just you know I'm not really a fan of that particularly not regularly or unnecessarily I think it's quite a a difficult thing for them to go for because they don't know they don't know that they're flying That'd be that'd be mad, um, but yeah, all the dogs out on tour. I mean, there's Verev's dog. Um, was he got a poodle or a cockapoo? I can't remember what it is, but it's it's small, and so is um, Lady Katie. She's pretty small. Anything that can go in a bag, a handbag dog, <laughs> it makes it very easy because on the flight they're just your hand luggage. You don't need to do any more than that. So it's quite easy to get them around. Yes, they need a passport. They need vaccinations and and this and that. I'm sure there are countries where you can't do it. I'm sure there are. Um, and I think, wasn't it Johnny Depp and his wife got in trouble for bringing, a, or his ex-wife, bringing a couple of dogs into Australia or something without declaring it or however it went. So there are some forms. It's like using a business visa rather than a tourist visa. You just kind of How got do you bring a dog in without declaring it? I don't know. You know. Have you got anything in your suitcase to declare? No. And you've got that, That's probably how it goes. And in, with your handbag, you know, you've kind of got the dog just poking the head out the top often when you're kind of carrying them around. That's what we see with Lady Katie when she's with um, Kelsey Anderson. Just zip it up. Hold your breath just whilst we go through <laughs> just whilst we go through security and customs. Nope, nothing in here. Thanks very much. Customs is it's long queue, long queue, nothing. What's in there? Nothing. No, it's fine. Um, yes, I think I think I I read or I, I heard a certain story along the lines of 
of that. And Doc, will you take Sven on honeymoon with you? No, won't take him on honeymoon. Won't take him to the wedding. He uh, he'll go he'll go on holiday. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. He's not coming to the wedding. No, he's not. And as much as he'd be very cute, it's a farm, and he's. His recall's pretty good for a Sheba. Anyone who knows a Sheba knows that they are difficult. Definitely out in the open on farmland, if he saw a hare or a deer, he would just chase it for 20 minutes and end up miles away. So he'd have to always be tied up, which is not very fun for him. It means somebody would have to be managing him. I'm trying to do the wedding and build things. Hang on, when you, when you say you're building things at your wedding, what are you going to be building on your wedding day? The entire venue. Oh. This is honestly, this is okay. this is massive. This is going to be fire festival part two. I think if anyone gets any food or anywhere to sleep, I'll have done pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's completely crazy, but yes, and I am building everything from scratch because it's on the in-laws' farm. So building the marquee, but that's simple enough. The marquee people will do that. And we've got the tents for where people are going to be glamping. Okay, so hang on, what exactly are you building? Because you've got the tent people, the marquee building, people building the marquee, the tent people building the tent. I'll, I'll be telling people what to build. Oh, now there That's it is. There it is. It's the, I thought... Right, because you think I can build a marquee by myself. Well, no, this, which is why which I, why I thought it was Fire Festival Part 2. <laughs> I thought... I thought it, <laughs> yeah. I th- it's just going to all be on the ground. That's it. It's a flat one. But <laughs> I, had a, I had a feeling with Sven... Now I've, through this podcast, I've seen, seen this other side to you. That, well, the, maybe not the wrestling, watching wrestling and darts side, but the sort of crying at montages and the, oh, hang on, didn't you say you swear a lot as well? Okay, so maybe that doesn't fit into what I'm going to say now. I thought Sven I'm a mixed would like, bag. I, thought, <laughs> I thought Sven would be walking down the aisle with the ring. I thought Sven would be your, your ring bearer. <laughs> and it would be cute. And there'll be lots of people there who'll be disappointed when they find out that Sven isn't coming. But, there's there's quite a strong chance that he would just run away so it's probably best if he didn't didn't do that and he's going to be with his trainer on holiday for the week it's going to be great and then when we're done with the wedding we're going to go and pick him up pick him up from the trainer and then we're going and we're staying at a nice place out in the Cotswolds for a week with the dog lots of walking so he'll be on holiday with us then for a week so he's going to have a great time now I don't know if you've made any plans for this evening the the action is about to finish but our commentary duties are done but I've been really disappointed so far after last week you telling me how quickly you picked up accents um when you're in a certain place (laughs) (laughs) there's I've had no Spanish or Spanish isms from you so I'm thinking that maybe tonight go to a restaurant and and you can start speaking Spanish (laughs) start okay start speaking Spanish um uh do you know what I was thinking I can speak a lot of languages isn't that a nice surprise? I didn't know about this, but I can. Only uh, I can score a tennis match in lots of different languages. You know, like the umpires can. Yes. I can do it in Russian and French and, and all sorts. So that technically counts. I can't do anything else. But Well, I'm, I'm just wondering I'm just wondering how far we're going to get at dinner if you're saying kind of 15 all. <laughs> Advantage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Juice. I tell you what, it'd be a nice surprise. Well, it's gonna be a nice surprise what we end up with. And they'll just say, "Oh, do you know what? Just, just give her the tortilla. It's fine." <laughs> just, she, she said fifteen all, but give her the tortilla. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So, if if you're ready, um, I am ready for you to for you to order our dinner. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, well, hold tight. <laughs> It'll be a nice surprise for both of us. It, it will be. I'm not sure we're going to eat or drink anything, but it's, it's going to be fun, that's for sure. All right, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> 